0: two of my favorite things is hearing, um, you guys all worship that just so ministers to me and percussion like, uh, so Grady, good job cranking up the percussion. Um, I like, I like that. Uh, um, thanks to Judah for doing whatever you did. Um, uh, well, thank you for joining. Sorry, it's me again this morning. Um, but uh, you know if you're just joining us to this morning we are finishing our study in 2 Timothy and I'm going to be closing us off in the last several verses in the end of uh, in the end of chapter 4 in 2 Timothy and and last week Pierre spoke to us and and taught us out of uh, verses 1 through 8 where where Paul was the, uh, Pierre had that last section of of kind of like content for the letter where Paul was writing his his good friend, his ministry partner, like the, the person that he kind of developed in ministry. He was writing him, and he was challenging Timothy to to, to preach the word, to be faithful to the Lord, to run the race to the end, because it's, it's only the kingdom of God that, that matters in the end. And he, he gave this great charge in verses 1 through 8. And for those of you that are terrified of, of public speaking, and I just want to give my son-in-law props because not only did he preach his first sermon in front of all of you, but he preached it in front of me, um, <laughs> which like, I would have probably wet myself if I had to do that. But uh, so uh, anyway, I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> I, they, they're gone this week uh, celebrating their anniversary, so I'm, I'm happy for them, but um you know, as we get into the, this section of text, it's a really interesting section of text, and often Paul's letters end with these. and, and it's this section of text where there's all of these personal references. They're, they're greeting certain people, and they're and Paul's commenting about what happened to certain people, people that we don't really some of the people we don't know anything about, and and um, he he refers to certain certain circumstances, and it's just kind of this hodgepodge of just comments, and uh, and yet probably except for the passage we saw last week, this is probably my favorite passage though in the entire book of second timothy because it, it it tell and i didn't i couldn't think of any word better than this i'm sure some of you can but it 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 gives us this picture like a tapestry and it tells us like what the texture could that's the only word i could think of like what's the texture of what it means to like follow and serve jesus Like Paul describes this thing for us and all of these different things kind of woven together and it gives us the feel of what it means to follow and serve Jesus. You know, when I was uh, in high school, I don't know why I remember this, but this is one of the few things I remember from high school, thankfully. Um, I hated high school. Anybody else hate high school? High schoolers? I'm like the only guy that hated high school, so whatever. Um, Okay, you guys didn't even, do you read (laughs) Yehuda? Totally kidding, all you homeschoolers, didn't mean to disrespect you. I'm just having a rough day, so uh, Yehuda and I go way back, right, Yehuda? So it's all in Christian love. You know, when I was in high school, I remember my mom buying a shirt for me from Fred Meyer. I grew up in Corvallis. We went to Fred Meyer in Corvallis, and I bought the, we bought this shirt. And I remember the shirt, and I remember the tag on the shirt for some weird reason. Um, and, and the shirt was made out of, like, this raw silk. And so it was kind of, like, bumpy and and not real smooth, and, and like, the weave wasn't, like, perfect, um, and there was the tag on the on the thing, and I haven't seen this tag since. But I've I've mentioned this to a couple of people, and they, they actually have seen tags like this recently. It said something like, "the the uh, the variations in this fabric aren't to be considered uh, aren't to be considered imperfections, but they lend to the unique quality and character of the garment." Has anybody ever seen a tag like that? Yeah and I think it's really important for us as we look at this text that shows like where it's maybe just this kind of like burlap sack of a passage and it has roughness to it and there's places that have been torn and needed to be mended you know I think a lot of us when we when we envision what it means to follow and serve Jesus we want like it, we want it to be smooth as like satin right we want we want the the path of following and serving Jesus to be like this this gown that you could wear to a to a what? soiree. <laughs> and yet, if, I mean, you don't read the Bible very long to realize that Jesus modeled for us that the, the robes and, that he wore as he walked the path that he, he blazed for us weren't the robes that were fit for the throne room, but they were the like, dirty and tattered robes of, of serving in the bathroom, right? Or worse. You know, and I, I think passages like this are really, really important for us and and I'm just so thankful to the Lord that He saw a fit that this passage would be today. They were gonna take a pool on how many times I might cry today. So um, you can talk to Aaron, you know, if if you want to on that. Because it's an emotional thing, you know, because because I think oftentimes we oftentimes we we uh, like I said, we we we're caught off guard when Maybe it's rougher than we thought it should be or when it's like the feeling like it's torn and mended and it's stained. and And yet the story of the Bible is one where God takes like that and demonstrates his love and his grace and his power and his strength through it all. You know, as we go through this text, I think I've kind of broken it up into three main sections is the texture of serving and following the Lord involves. And this is the first one in verses nine through 13, the comings and goings of close friends. That's what Paul's going to talk about in the first few verses. And then it involves the opposition and desertion of different types. And then lastly, it involves the strength and rescue that's in the Lord. So if you could just stand with me, I'm going to read the text, then I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll finish off um, 2 Timothy together. This is God's word for his church, and these are Paul's last words that he wrote for us. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the apartments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you also, Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for us as a church that that you would be with our spirits, that you would open our hearts up to hear your word, that you would empower me in weakness to be able to speak it to your people, and that we would leave here more devoted, more um, devoted, more committed uh, more in love with you and your son Jesus Christ, I pray these things in jesus' name amen you can be seated you know as we get into this text i don 't want you to miss the the emotions that are woven into it you know in this, in this group of names in verses nine through thirteen if you if you study those all out and we 'll look at some of them it 's they 're a list of like, like of paul 's closest <laughs> like partners in ministry and closest co-workers that he had been serving alongside real recently. Um, We have a a mention of of a guy by the name of Titus who, he says, went to Dalmatia, which is modern-day Yugoslavia, or it's not modern-day Yugoslavia anymore. What is Yugoslavia now? Slovakia? Slovakia, Slovakia, I guess. Um, I guess my commentary I was reading said Yugoslavia, but... uh, Ty, but Titus was the one to whom the book of Titus, which is probably on the next page in your Bibles, was written to. He was the one that Paul entrusted the churches of Crete to. He was he was a close co-worker of Paul's. We have mention of a guy by the name of Tychicus. Tychicus was the one who del- most likely delivered the letters of Ephesians and Colossians to those churches. Now, the book of Ephesians, both of those books are these rich and substantive books that the church has, like, like, just drank deeply from over the millennia. And Tychicus was the guy that carried them to the recipients. You know, we have mention of, we have mention of, of um, well, Tychicus actually was called this in Colossians 4. He says, Paul calls him our beloved brother and faithful minister, and he's a fellow bond servant in the Lord. Like, he's part of the family of God. He's part of our our, our family he's a faithful minister he has served the church well and he's a bond servant of god himself like he 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 follows what god wants him to do we also have a guy by the name of demas that's mentioned in there demas in philemon verse 24 um, was called one of paul's fellow workers now this is all paul's inner circle and yet, and yet, he's not just giving Timothy these, these uh, requests, I mean, all, these list of names just to like fill in Timothy um, in, the, in the age before Instagram on what everybody's been doing lately. He's actually telling him all of these names um, because he's making a request of Timothy, and he's making a request of Timothy actually twice in this passage. He makes the same request twice. You know, here's Paul, and he's sitting in prison, and he knows he's about to be executed for the cause of Christ. And he writes to Timothy, and and look at verse 9. Here's the request. Make every effort to come to me soon. And then he ends with it down in verse, um, I think it's verse 21. Make every effort to come before winter. You know, the beginning and the end of this passage, he's like, Timothy, I really want to see you one last time. It's Paul's passing wish before he dies, right? I need you here when I go to the end. You know, it's not just his love for Timothy, though, that makes this request. In fact, he gives us a, a, a reason for the request there in verse 10, and he says this. He says, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Now, that's, that's significant. And then he goes on. He lists some more things. He says, and, and, and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to the Only Luke is with me. Here's the apostle Paul at the end of his life, and he's like, only Luke is with me. You know, the first one he tells us about is the, the pain of the personal desertion, not just of ministry, but of Paul himself. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. You know, Demas, um, again, had been one of Paul's fellow workers. We don't know what the enticement was. But Demas beca- took his eyes off of what was really important. In fact, we see that in verse 8. Demas is being contrasted with the faithful people in verse 8. Look what he says up in verse 8. In the future, the, the, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. But Demas didn't do that. He didn't like live his life in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Instead, he lived his life in light of the, his love of the world, of its values, of its ethics, of its pleasures, of its comforts, of its safety, of its whatever else you want to put in there. His love caused him to desert the Lord and desert Paul in his time of need. Should be a warning to us. Demas and others like him should be a warning to us because it's it's uh, whatever we put our affections on will direct our life. In fact, Paul says this in, I mean, John says this in First John chapter two verses fifteen and sixteen. I think I have it. He says, "Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father." But it's from the world. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you can't serve two masters, either love one or hate the other, or cling to one and despise the other. So we have this picture of Demas as a warning to us, like we need to be those who run to the end, who love his appearing, who know that he's coming back, and he's going to make all things right, and live our life in light of that. You know, then there's a couple other guys, Crescens and Titus. Um, they probably went to those, to those regions for good reasons, probably for ministry-related reasons. We don't really know for sure. And then he says this, only Luke is with me. Now, he's not probably saying it like that. Like, can you believe it? I just got stuck with Luke. <laughs> what he's saying is like, of all of our closest comrades, as I'm about to face my death, only one guy is standing with me. So, Timothy, come Soon, make every effort to get here. Timothy was in in Ephesus, which means he had to walk across Turkey, or at least about half of Turkey. He went up to Troas to pick up Paul's cloak and the, and his books and parchments. He'd have to cross the what's the name of that sea, the Aegean Sea, into Greece. Take the take the uh, one of the Roman roads across Greece, cross the Adriatic Sea into Italy, and the walk from Italy to Rome. It's not like, hey, hop on the bus, swing by. Come to me soon. Come before winter. Bring my jacket. That's what he says. I'm in a cold, dark, dank cell. Bring my copies of the scriptures. Maybe there was even other books there. You know, he... He has these physical needs. He has even these kind of mental needs with his books. He has these spiritual needs from the scriptures and from his friends. But his emphasis here is on relationship. Man, Timothy, I really want to see you again. But then he mentions something really amazing for us, and I think our hearts need it this morning. My heart's needed it this week. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Now, a lot of you might not know the story of Mark, but Mark was um, a young man when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. And they first went over to the island of Cyprus, and then they, they went across into what's present-day Turkey. And right when they landed in, in Turkey, um, it, we, we find out that Mark like bailed out on them and went back home. And then in Acts chapter 15, what you find out is that they were going to go on their second missionary journey, and Barnabas really wanted to take Mark with them. And Paul was like, no way, because he bailed on us before it even really got tough, because it was right after that that he got stoned and left for dead. Like, this guy, this guy quit when the going was easy. Things got way tougher. I am not bringing him again. And the, and the disagreement between Barnabas and, and Paul was so deep that, that it broke up that missionary team, and Barnabas and Mark, like, leave and kind of fall off, the, fall off the biblical map for a while. Mark had deserted just like Demas. And yet here at the end of Paul's life, we see something like amazing and something restorative. That there, there's a way back. Like here you have Paul saying, you know, of, of all the people I want to see before I die, it's you. I've already got Luke. And bring Mark. And I would love to have his ministry in my life as I go to the end. And it's this picture that God doesn't give up on anyone. And you can have, like, failure. And in following Christ, there's a path back. And there's a path back to reconciliation and restoration and healing and usefulness. You know, the story of Mark and the story of Peter before him who denied Christ's dreams and the story of countless others, probably including many of us in this room, is that God is a God of second chances. In fact, in Jesus' own words, he's a God of 70 times 7 chances every day. Right? Like God restored Mark to a place of... of restored their relationship, restored Mark to a place of, of um, usefulness in the kingdom. You know, if we sense in our hearts the desire just to write people off when they wrong us or disappoint us or, or fail, we, we want to write them off because we felt the sting of that desertion or that betrayal or that you know, whatever, whatever the blank is, we just need to be reminded again of like the truth of the gospel. God is a God who forgives and restores and renews and turns, like, broken circumstances into ones that are beautiful. Let's let's not forget the truth of the gospel, that it's out of, like, just wreckage that God rescued me. And if you're honest with yourself, it's out of wreckage that God rescued you. You know the opening verses of these of this section, this opening section highlights both both struggle and strength. We've kind of talked about some of the struggle with Paul feeling the sting of, of Demas' desertion, that sting of loneliness as everybody, for good reasons and bad, went other places. But there's some strength here. I, I heard Kent Hughes speak on this uh, passage one time, and he brought up this observation that was really impactful to me as a Bible geek. But there was three guys that Paul requested to be with him at the end: Luke and timothy and mark you know the apostle paul wrote a, a, about 25 percent 25 or 26 percent of the new testament luke wrote a little bit more than that he wrote between like 26 ish 27 percent of the new testament mark this one who had deserted deserted paul early in ministry but had been restored he actually wrote what we know as the gospel of mark between the three of those guys, sixty percent of the New Testament authorship um, was represented. Timothy had been serving Paul since he was serving with Paul since he was a young man, had been faithfully pastoring God's people for years. Two of the books of the Bible were written to him, and this is one of them. First Timothy is the other one. In case you hadn't put that together, <laughs> my point is this: was like that when. Those, those relationships that are forged in the context of like serving the Lord side by side with each other, those relationships that are forged as you as you follow Christ and cling to the truth of the gospel and experience the mending of what's been torn and brought back together, like Paul and Mark had. You know, the texture of serving Jesus isn't always the smooth thing that where everything's just always great. And Paul, what there wasn't a lot of people that stood with Paul at the end. We don't even know if Timothy and Mark made it. But if they did, 60% of the authorship of the New Testament was sitting in that room. He didn't have a lot of people, but he had good ones. You know, my challenge to all of us is I think we, we were just lame when it comes to relationships sometimes. We let, like bumps in the road. We let, like, inconveniences, we let little offenses, like, become big things. We we don't devote ourselves to the Lord. We don't have, we don't know what it means to fight side by side along with people like Paul did with Timothy and Luke and Mark and others. And we just have this, like, milk toast sort of, like, relationships that are just superficial. Whereas Paul, like, he had deep, substantive, and strong relationships that sustain him at the end. And that he longed for at the end. I mean, all through ministry, he knew that. In Second Corinthians chapter seven, um, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about this really difficult time in his life. And he says this: He says, "For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side—conflicts without and fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming." But also by the comfort with which he he was comforted in you, as as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Did you hear that? Like God who comforts the depressed comforted me by the coming of Titus. God's comfort and God's grace and God's, like, love is often experienced in the context of relationships with each other and in the context of, like, the community of faith as we band together for the sake of the gospel. I just want to challenge you, like, not to diminish, like, what God's doing in the church and in your life and in your relationships just because the fabric's a little bit rough at this spot. Because that marks us mark's testimony to us that, you know what, that God heals those kinds of things. You know, the second point this morning is that the texture of serving and following Jesus involves the opposition and desertion of different types. Um, I'll I'll read it here in verses 14 through 16. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching." At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So here Paul brings up like an individual and a group of people. The first thing is the individual is Alexander the coppersmith. And he uh, we, we don't know, obviously, Alexander worked with copper. I don't know. Uh, there's actually a reference back to an Alexander, I think, in the city of Ephesus. He was part of like making idols. Um, but what we see here that... What we see here is that he was an active and vigorous and harmful opponent of the gospel. He vigorously opposed our teaching, and he did me much harm. Like Paul felt the injury that was caused by the guy named Alexander. And he calls him out by name. And then he warns Timothy, hey, be on guard for him yourself. Like, "Don't, don't let your guard down around that guy. He did the cause of the gospel and he's doing the cause of the gospel much harm. And then he says this, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You know, apparently Alexander the coppersmith either forgot or no, didn't believe what it tells us in Second in Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 1. That's what Paul told Timothy in verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. There is no one who will escape the judgment of God unless they escape it because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul's teaching us is something really important is is if you've suffered harm from someone like he did from Alexander, notice what he does. The Lord will repay him. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to get him. Go over to his house and slash his tires. Don't just post a whole bunch of things about Alexander on Instagram. but he says "As you know what? The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. When we believe that the Lord is the righteous judge who will come and make all things right one day, who will judge with perfect perception, who will judge without, like, false motive, who will judge, like, knowing fully a person's heart, and who will make everything right, we can release that judgment, and we can release our need for justice because we can trust God to judge. Beware of Alexander the Coppersmith, but the Lord will repay him. But I want us to focus a little bit on the second group. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. You know, what Paul's talking about there is, is brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, and when I went to my first defense, and scholars aren't completely, like, in agreement about which defense it was. Paul spent a lot of time in, in trials. But one of the things that we do know from Paul's testimony is here, and, and Roman law was that when you were put on trial, you were able to call, like, witnesses that could vouch for you. And he says, and when I went to trial, I started, like, calling around, sent out this mass text, crickets. In fact, I went to trial. No one was willing to stand by me. No one was willing to like vouch for me. He felt the sting of desertion. There was a risk, a risk that brothers and sisters in Christ weren't willing to take, and they left Paul hanging in the time of need. But look at his response to them. It's so much different than his response to Alexander. May it not be counted against them. And you know, I think what that shows us is that there's a difference. We need to be, have the wisdom to distinguish in our mind from people that are active opponents of the gospel who are seeking to like, undermine the cause of Christ and bring harm to his church. And those people who, like these people who deserted out of fear or out of weakness or out of whatever, stumble and fall. Because the people that stumble and f- fell here, Paul had no malice towards them. What did he have he had this gracious wish to them like may it not be counted against them may the lord forget that that ever happened and i think again it's it's easy for us to confuse those two and and we we don't perceive a brother or sister in christ who's struggling and seek to come around them but we just write them off and want god just to like crush them but Paul here shows us this, that, that there's this response in Christ that's just so beautiful that may it not be counted against them. You know, there's something about like, needing to come around people that falter and fall and care for them well and seek to follow them in Christ that the writer of Hebrews speaks about in, in Hebrews chapter 12, 11 through 15. He says this. He says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. You know, it's easy for our minds when we see like calamity befall someone and be like, well, it's God's discipline on them. So thankful for that, for them, right? We don't really want it on ourselves, but we're happy when it comes on other people. And then he says, he says, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then it goes on. Therefore, because, like, God is faithful and loving to discipline his children as the perfect father. That's the context. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's like, it's like what Paul's doing for those deserters, right? Like, oh, like, I, may it not be held against them. He has this, like, gracious wish and prayer for them. But the writer, he was just telling us, like we have a responsibility as as the discipline of God might be upon someone to come alongside them with that same sort of gracious intent, strengthen the knees that are weak and the... And the hands that are feeble. And then he says this. He goes on, pursue peace with all men in the sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. He's like guard yourself, guard your heart. Pursue peace. Pursue God's like righteousness. Come around those who are weak. Strengthen your weak hands. It's actually a quote from Isaiah. Lift up their weak limbs. Care for those that stumble and falter and fall. And maybe we have a church that has the wisdom to distinguish between the two of them. He goes on. Well, I mean, let me just make one point of just... There's some there's some raw honesty to this, this whole passage. Like, it's Paul's writing to his friend here. and Alexander, the coppersmith, he's... He did me much harm, like, and everybody deserted me. And relationships are messy and hard, like, don't you, like, am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? Rachel feels that way every day when she wakes up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and... I, I just have to challenge us as a church. Like the circumstances that we find ourselves in this morning are this unique opportunity because it's in the rough spot of the fabric where where God oftentimes like demonstrates like the the riches of His grace, the beauty of the truth of the gospel, the restorative ability to to heal. You know, Demas didn't like abandon like the cause of Christ and follow the world because it was harder. He abandoned the cause of Christ and followed the world because that's the easy path. It's easy just to like follow the world's ethics and values and systems and priorities and just do your own thing. Paul remained in the trenches with people, caring for them, loving them, praying for them. Not just writing them off, being restored to them. And maybe, maybe we be the same kind of people because... What a great opportunity it is in a world where everybody is just polarized to be able to see like, you know what the gospel and, and the work of Jesus Christ is something that is so true and so real and so powerful that it can it can mend the biggest tears. You know lastly, paul's last point is is that the texture of serving and following the Lord involves the strength and rescue that's from the Lord. You know, I think this is really, really important for us because there is nobody in this room who will not let you down. There is nobody in this room who will be able to, to give you everything you want. Even as Paul's reaching out to, to his friends to be with him, like he's not diminishing that. But he also recognizes like there's only one who will always stand by him. And it's it's the Lord himself. Look what he says. He says, after uh, after speaking about being deserted, verse 16, he says this in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. He says, when everybody else abandoned me, there was one person who didn't. The Lord stood with me. And in that moment of weakness, it was the Lord that strengthened me. In that moment of, like, danger, it was the Lord who rescued me. So that what? So that through me, all the nations might hear. What Paul's saying is, like, God wasn't done with me yet. God still had a purpose. And he had this purpose for me to be able to proclaim his name before kings and before governors. He talks about that. He says, and and. When everybody else abandoned me, in that, it's in that moment that I experienced the, the, the presence of the Lord. I experienced the strength of the Lord, and I experienced the rescue of the Lord. You know, it, I think oftentimes we maybe don't experience those things because we, we never allow ourselves to be in that place of desperation, like Paul was at. And he's like, no, it's in that moment of being alone. Alone that I experienced the Lord's presence, the Lord's strength, and the Lord's rescue. And he experienced that every day of his life. And he was delivered from the lion's mouth, which we don't really, I think that's probably metaphorical. They didn't feed Roman citizens to the lions. That was the privilege of everybody else. Paul was saved so that the ministry of the gospel could continue. But Paul knows something now. I don't know how he knows it. But he knows, like, he's finished his course, right? That's what he said. I have fought the good fight. This is up in the first eight verses. I have finished the course. I have, I'm quoting this wrong. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul's saying that God was with me to stand by me and strengthen me and rescue me every day of of my life according, according to his purposes. And now I've reached the end. And look what he says next. The Lord future, verse 18, will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying is like Pierre talked about this last week. When Paul says that the time of his departure has come, it's not the end. It's pushing off from shore and starting off on. It was a C.S. Lewis quote he quoted, something like the great, the great story where every chapter is better than the one before, and that never ends. Paul knows, and he, he opened the book with this idea. In Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he's talking about the work of Jesus Christ. And he says this, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, we, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light, to the gospel. Paul's saying, you know what? I, and God has been so faithful to me in the past. I can be confident, confident of his faithfulness to me in the future, and he will deliver me from every evil deed, and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Such an amazing statement because... The, the method of execution for a Roman citizen was beheading by a sword, which church history tells us Paul soon experienced. And yet he's able to say with conviction, like, God will deliver me from every evil deed. There is no evil that's going to touch him that's outside of God's plan for him. And that evil, even if it's the evil of Rome's sword, beheading the apostle Paul is not the final word. He will be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen you know even as paul finishes this book we we see this like rough texture of the book and this this texture of both like deep deep struggle and exceeding joys like in verses 19 through 22 and brian you can come up to close this, and, uh, let me just look at, uh, just briefly at verses 19 and 22. There's these, there's, this, is, this is really like the hodgepodge verses at the end. He greets Prisca and Aquila, who were, who were co-workers of his for a long time. He greets the household of an, an, an Onesiphorus. You see the struggle of life in this age uh, when he talks about Trophimus, that he had to leave him sick. God doesn't always heal us. Sometimes we're sick and, sorry to break the news to you, unless Jesus comes back, every single one of us in this room is going to die. Their struggle, like Trophimus was sick. Y- you see that you see that thing, like make every effort to come before winter. It's cold here, and I don't know how much longer I have. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and the whole church. Like there's, like there's this brotherhood of the saint going on. All the brethren, and then and then he ends with these words. These are. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Right, those, those are the final words. Paul's final words but you experience the same presence of God. May you experience his grace every day of your life. May grace be with you. May, may you experience it. May it be with you so that other people can experience it. And he put down his pen. And he finished the course. As I were singing that, I was just thinking about Romans chapter 8. If, if you're not familiar with the verses, you should be, but I think it's good to be reminded of those after that song. He says, this will be our closing on this morning. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered Father, I just thank you that you are a God who will hold us fast, that you will stand by your children, that you won't ever leave us or forsake us, that you'll be, you're with us until the end of the age, and that you will see us safely through to your heavenly kingdom. And Father, I just pray for us that we would represent you like with grace and with wisdom and with peace as we, as we interact with each other and in this world. Um, and I just ask that here at Creekside that you would make the truth of of what He's accomplished, what Jesus has accomplished for us, known. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.